Another thing I've been championing for for many, many years and was one of my major components of my time on the OIDA board was I would like to see a panel of very experienced, as in 20 years or more on the road, truck drivers to review the FMCSA regulations concerning trucking right. and pick out the bad, fix the okay ones, and uh, approve the good. I'm Todd Dills. This is the Overdrive Radio Podcast for Friday, January 25th, 2019. And the voice up top is that of owner-operator Steve Bixler of Valley View, Pennsylvania. The recently former OIDA board member and hauler of sand and natural gas drilling and fracking operations in his region. Today he's working with an interstate, uh, intrastate I should say, log and wood chips hauling operation that uses its company trucks in Pennsylvania. Independent owner-operator Bixler's interstate authority then affords him plenty of opportunity contracting with the operation for, for runs to a facility in New York State. His notion of a panel of experienced drivers to serve as a regulations review board of sorts is one that's been in some of the conversations around reform of late. In fact, included in a somewhat different form in the, quote, trucker's declaration for the 20, uh, 2019 shutdown, unquote issued under the Trucker Stand is One banner, you probably saw news about in earlier week reporting about a variety of groups calling for an April 12th industry-wide shutdown, quote-unquote. For a variety of reasons, Bixler says, the industry-wide part of that is never going to happen. We get to that later in the podcast. But, like I said, part of the declaration issued by these groups includes the idea you heard Bixler elucidating up top. Here's the 40-plus year veteran driver and owner-operator explaining it all further. And at the same token, any new regulations that they want to write, have this panel have the ability to review it before the law is written and say, okay, this is good, or okay, this needs work, or hey, this is bad. Because we all know the easiest time to fix something is before you do it. It would be much better to review these rules and have them submit rules that work for everybody instead of writing a rule and then spending the next 10 years challenging it in court to try and fix it or get rid of it. And I was working really, really hard. Uh, there again, I talked to you know the administrators at the time and and any congressman I could get a hold of and get an ear with to try and get them to set up a panel. And sure. there was, you know, there was a lot of talk about it, but as with everything in Washington, it takes 10 years to talk to get an hour's worth of action. It's been about seven years since Bixler joined the OIDA board when he says he really began championing this idea. Maybe with three more years of talk around it, with drivers communicating in person or via phone calls and or letters to district offices of their congressional representatives, maybe it'll happen. If nothing else, the recent calls for an April shutdown serve as a reminder of this idea, one Steve Bixler believes is well worth the effort required of legislators and regulators to make it happen. 
One reason, one of the reasons I was talking to Bigfoot, though, was on the subject of preparation for the worst. Whatever series of events you can imagine that threatened your continued operation, Bixler himself was in the middle of paying off a couple of bank loans when his daily driver 1996 Kenworth went down last year. Needing an engine rebuild or replacement was going to take some time to complete, if he could muster up the money to do it. He knew it was coming time for the engine work, and even with the aggressive moves on the bank loans limiting his ready cash flow, he had a contingency plan in place that he moved on. He put back into service the first truck he ever owned, and which has seen work on the road off and on in his independent operation over the last 20 years, a 1989 Freightliner cab over known as the Lady in Red. Catch a picture or two of it via the January 25 post on the Channel 19 blog, which appeared with this podcast. A week into running it, though, another one of those worst things happened. He was hit by a motorist making an illegal U-turn ahead of him. While the damage wasn't exactly extensive, it was enough to put the truck mechanically out of service for the time being. Since he's been hauling in a company truck day cab in the timber harvesting operation I mentioned before. And he tells that story in the audio that follows. Well, I have, uh, of course, my 89 Freightliner cab over, which is affectionately known around here as the Lady in Red. And uh, I have a 96 Kenworth W900L. And the 96 Kenworth was my daily driver, and the the lady in red was my spare. And uh, back in, I'm going to say it was October 1st or 2nd, I had a wrist pin bushing give out on the Kenworth. And I managed to bring the truck home. I mean, it still runs and drives, but it, it makes a terrible racket. So we took money we had set aside to uh, do some repairs on both trucks. And we poured all of that into the cab over it needed a rear end. So we put another rear end in it and fixed up a few other minor things that needed to be done to it. And we were just in the process of paying off some bank loans. So we decided we would go ahead and pay them off and uh, run the cab over and just put money back what we were putting on these loans we put back and when we had the money together we put another motor back in the Kenworth and that lasted for all of well the truck the cab over was in the shop for almost a week getting a rear end put in and getting the other repairs and stuff done to it and then I put it back on the road and I ran it from Sunday night till Friday night uh, October 19th and I was on my way home from New York and a car did an illegal U-turn in front of me and I broadsided him and fortunately there were no serious injuries there there were some injuries but nothing serious nothing life threatening and uh, of course the truck was uh, damaged beyond drivable. We had to tow it home. And, of course, we'd just been in a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, uh, uh, back-and-forth battle with the insurance company to come to agreement on pricing to fix it and downtime and all those other issues, which I really can't get into right now. But right, So right. I've basically been sitting without a truck of my own since the 19th of October, and the guy that I'm working 
pulling for, he was good enough to put me in one of his trucks so that I at least have some income coming in to keep the hospital going until I get a truck back on the road. You had a good relationship with, with him, so you were able to uh, to jump into one of his. Yeah. Yeah, the, the accident happened Friday night, and I could have been in one of his trucks Sunday night already. Uh, I I would waited until I think Tuesday night to go back out so I could get things started with the insurance companies on my trucks. But uh, he actually came up. I was pulling one of his trailers at the time when the accident happened, and he actually came up to pick up the trailer, and he told me right at the accident scene, he said, I got a truck sitting waiting on you when you're ready to go to work. So that was that was a big help. It's one of those things that uh, what happened to you there is uh, it's a, a couple of a couple of things right in a row that are almost uh, impossible. Uh, one, one of them you could prepare for uh, uh, mechanical problems, um, and you sounds like you were pretty well prepared for that, right? But uh, yeah. yeah, and 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 we were like I said, we were in line to pay off two bank loans. And uh, so, which is, I guess, part of the problem in the long run, we didn't have a surplus of cash on hand when all of this took place because we were paying these bank loans to get rid of them. And the Kenworth Motor, I was hoping to get another year out of it. I knew it was, it had 940,000 miles on it. I knew it was on its last legs, but I figured the work I was doing, the running I was doing, I could probably coax another year out of it. And, of course, that didn't happen. And then two weeks later, I got involved in that accident, which just, you know, I mean, we we had we had contingency plans in place for each and every event happening right up until that accident. When that happened, I mean, that was just the end of the line. There, there just was nowhere to turn anymore. Tell me who you. Tell me about who you're um, you're running for now, um, and how long you've been a part of that operation. I've been working with him for just a little over a year. Uh, I've known the guy since he was a kid. He's he's local here, and he has a a timber harvesting operation, he has a farming operation, he has an excavating business, and I'm missing one and I can't think of what it is now. But he is uh, pretty diversified, and the, the reason I got hooked up with him initially is he has trucks of his own for his construction work, of course, and for his timber harvesting, but everything he has is licensed strictly for Pennsylvania. And some of the hardwood logs that he saws goes to a hardwood mill in New York. And he approached me about coming to work for him to haul these logs to New York because my trucks are a portion license. And that's how it all got started. And uh, it was going to be part-time maybe and haul some wood chips in between possibly and of course I started with him and I haven't done anything else well I lied <laughs> I I, uh, I started for him in December of 17 and 
in January and February, I spend about two weeks working on a gas well hauling sand. And then I went back to him, and I've been back with him ever since. I, I, uh, I've gotten away from, from the gas wells completely. And I've sure. just been working for him now hauling these logs and wood chips. Yeah, I remember uh, remembering your uh, the work uh, with the uh, with the natural gas cracking uh, hauling sand. The reason, the particular reason you wanted to get away from that, or is, uh, it just kind of fall into place? Well, the 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 gas well business in Pennsylvania took a a, a hit in 2015. Uh, I mean, the production, not the production, the drilling and fracking probably dropped off, I'm going to guess, by 80%. And you had a heck of a time finding any work. And you'd go out and you'd work for a week, and then you might sit home for three weeks. And it just wasn't working out. So I had gone back. I had actually gone back and was uh, hauling potatoes and, and... applesauce and whatever else I could find in my reefer trailer and I had come back and was doing that more than I was doing the gas wells and then the opportunity came along to get involved with this guy hauling these logs and wood chips and he's kept me busy steady I have all the work I want there so the gas wells it's good high dollar work but it's so inconsistent The work I'm doing for this guy pays me almost as much as what I was making on the gas wells uh, per mile. But it's consistent. It's there every week, you know, every day, every week, every month. So I just decided it was a better fit for the business. It was a better fit for our household. And I've just been sticking with him now. We started in the gas wells in 2011. And uh, 11 and 12, we were really busy. Then 13 was kind of so-so. 14 was a little bit better. And then in 15, it just fell right in its nose. And like I said, we just, I just, I didn't see a future there. for. Uh, not that I didn't see that there would be work available, but I didn't see... Uh, my my business manager, who's also my wife, yeah. she she likes it much better when she has a consistent paycheck from week to week and knows next, this week what's coming in next week. And I can understand that because she's got to make the money fit the bills. And yeah. uh, we just discussed it and decided, you know what, it's a much better fit. I mean, he treated, he he basically tells me if you need. To help your rates, you do what you got to do, and if I don't like it, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and and I mean, I've been fair with him. I've I've been there a year, and I put him up one time when the when the fuel went up like forty cents a gallon, and yeah. I just I don't know if I put him up enough even to cover the the increase in the fuel. But uh, so it's a pretty short haul um, kind of stuff you're doing, right? We travel around with 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 the timber harvesting 
but we okay. deliver everything to the same place. So our okay. hauls are anywhere from, I'm going to say, 50 to 130 miles one way. Okay. And then the logs are another 40 miles beyond the destination where the wood chips go. So they will be like from 90 to 150, 160 miles. But with the way the timing and everything is set up on it, uh, when I'm doing it with my trucks where I have my sleepers, I normally leave on a Sunday night and I come back home Monday for a couple hours in the afternoon and then I leave again Monday night, and I don't come back home until Friday night. I just stay out and keep running and just sleep in the truck because it just uh, the timing fits better for me to do it that way. Sure. Now, since I've been running all, he has his day cabs. So since I've been running his truck, I leave at around 7, 7.30 in the evening and get home here around 9 in the morning and then... I sleep normally during the day then. Okay. Yeah, we start Sunday night and finish up Friday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it depends on how I want to run it as to how much time I'm at home. I can I can get more loads in in a week if I stay out and just stay in the truck because I don't need to account for that extra time to come home every day and, you know, go back yeah. to the truck and... Right now, I'm picking up trailers two miles from the house, but then there's okay. times that we're 80 miles from the house where we're where we're picking the trailers up. So you know, it, it's that varies. It just depends on on where the job is, where he's cutting at, and everything everything that we harvest that all goes to to Wanda, PA, and logs go to Owego, New York. When you're thinking about your your rates, um, uh, are, are you are you always thinking about them on a kind of mileage terms or or uh, yeah. time figuring uh, this mileage? Yeah, I base my rates on mileage. You know, well, uh, when we start a new a new uh, job somewhere, I'll run one and see what the mileage is, and then I determine what my rate's going to be for that particular job. How far back? Uh, Behind the wheel, do you go? I started driving truck in April of 1978. So I'll have 41 years in in April of 2019. And I became an owner-operator in April of 1999. So I'll have 20 years in as an owner-operator in April. I started out uh, hauling for a regional freight company doing city delivery. Uh, I ran a straight. When I first started there, I was only 20 years old, so they put me in a straight job. And I ran a straight job from April until September when I turned 21, and then they put me in a twin screw cab over a freight liner, and I was delivering freight to Center City, Philadelphia. So I learned how to back real quick. (laughs) Yeah. But I did that for, I actually did two stints with them. I worked for them for for about two and a half years, and then I quit. And then I was running heavy equipment and uh, coal strippings for about a year. 
but I was still driving truck, both on my job in the coal strippings and also on the side. And sure. then I went back to that same freight company uh, for five and a half years. And then I left there again and went to a different coal operation. That was a coal and a stone quarry. And that was the same way. I ran heavy equipment there, but I, I was always driving truck either there or for my father-in-law on weekends or something. I was, you know, I was never away from trucking. And then uh, in 1999, in April of 1999, I bought my own truck. What was that truck that you bought in April 99? The first truck I bought was my 89 Freightliner cab over that I still have today. That was, that was the lady in red, okay. That was the lady in red, yeah. That's why I still have her. She was my first truck, and I'll never get rid of her. As an owner-operator, um, have you run um, with your authority established the entire time? Um spent time leasing with companies or how's it been when i first bought the truck i leased to the same regional freight company that i worked for as a company driver okay and i was leased on to them for about six months and like true to form most leases go when i first leased on i had all the work i wanted i had my choice of loads and the farther it went the less work was available and to the point where I parked the truck and uh, I went to work for a local potato grower here working helping him plant his spring crop actually and uh, when they were getting ready to start bringing potatoes out of Florida I asked him I said can I put my truck home with you all the potatoes and he said yeah he said I can use you so at that point I called the company I was leased to, and I said, look, I said, I want to use my truck to haul these potatoes. And they said, well, while you're leased to us, you can't do that. I said, well, then I'm breaking the lease. And we discussed it back and forth and finally came to a term where, because I didn't need hauling authority to haul the potatoes, it was an agricultural product. Yep. They said, look, just let your lease run out. I had signed a one-year lease. They said, let the lease run out. When you're going to work for that guy, just cover our name up and just do your thing because you don't need all the authority to do that. Yeah. So that's what I did. And uh, then when the lease ran out, then, in well, in the meantime, I, I think we may have still even had the lease going yet. We uh, filed for our own hauling authority then and got that, and, uh, and I've been running under my own authority ever since. I've had various people want me to lease my truck to them. I said, no, I won't do it. I said, I'll contract it to you, but I won't lease it. And I haven't been under another lease since then. Around the time of the turn between years 2013 and 2014, with the gas well business still going relatively well for him, hauling sand in Pennsylvania, Bixler's youngest son decided he wanted to try trucking and asked his father to help him get his CDL. If he was going to be committed for two or three years, Bixler told him, all would be A-OK. And after something of a tussle with his insurance company to accept a driver without any experience, for a surcharge, of course, the young man joined the operation with both the 1999 Kenworth and Bixler's Lady in Red cab over in operation as a two-truck fleet. That came along at a time when Bixler had been making moves toward turning the 89 cab over into a show truck, 
it was in good working condition for him to make the move. Good as his word, Bixler's son, now in his late 20s, put in three years before he moved on in early 2017 to another field altogether. Through all of that, Bixler was a board member at the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, serving for five years there. The, the experience was wonderful. I, one of the hardest decisions I made was when I resigned from there, but it just, with the, the problems we were having with the trucking company at the time, and you know that we we were in a bad freight cycle. It was before I started doing this logs, and yep. uh, between the travel out there twice a year for the meetings and you know the expense and stuff, it it just was getting to be a real burden financially. And we just felt we needed to take care of our business here, so mm-hmm. I resigned. Uh, just told him, you know, it was for personal reasons, and I had actually called out and talked to Jim Johnson about it. We had quite a lengthy discussion, and and Jim said, too, he said, hey, he said, you need to take care of your, your home life first. Not my home life, but my, my, my own personal business first. And uh, so I stepped down in, I guess that was in June of 2006. 17 when I talked to him and uh, then I resigned but yeah that that was I really enjoyed that one of the things that I see that helps them be successful is the organization is run by truck drivers you know the, the all of the officers hold CDLs all of the board members hold CDLs so when we sit down, or when I say we, I'm not involved anymore with it on the board, but when when we would sit down around the board table to discuss something, everybody was looking out for the truck driver and not for the bottom line of the trucking industry dollar-wise. And that, that was, I think that's one of the reasons why they've remained as successful as they have is because it they're they're the people that run the place are in the trenches every day. Bixler came into trucking in the late nineteen seventies, at a time when calls for truckers to shut down and protest were in their heyday. But such calls from owner operators in various groups have continued ever since. I've seen an untold number of such calls through my twelve years at overdrive. Bixler believes the industry has evolved such that large competing factions with irreconcilable differences essentially mean that as I noted near the top of the podcast, any shutdown call is destined to be little more than that. A call. His thoughts in some ways echoed those of longtime OOIDA President Jim Johnston, who's, who passed this time last year. As we quoted earlier in the week from a 2008 story about calls for a shutdown at that time, one of Johnston's main messages, this was shutdown, even with widespread support among owner-ops, would principally go to those who continue to operate and there will be no doubt a lot of those. Here's what Bixler had to say about it all. I don't know how to say that. Again, I don't I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but I, I guess sure. I want to be completely honest about it. I think if you could get everybody to shut down, it wouldn't take but a couple of days, and things would happen. I think it probably would open some people's eyes as to just how important we are. 
board between the unions, the large independent carriers, and the owner-operators that are looking to grab a quick buck versus take a hit in the wallet today to make it better tomorrow, it'll never happen. You'll never you'll never see another nationwide truck strike. Not not on the same level as it uh, happened in the past, anyway. No, no, because you you get you. I mean, you know, back when it happened in the seventies, you didn't have trucking companies with five thousand, eight thousand, ten thousand trucks on the road. You didn't have. You know the, the the Teamsters. Yeah, they were they were they were powerful in the early seventies, but they didn't have the membership that they have now. And you know it, it it's just there's too many different large groups that aren't going to stick together. And if you don't get them all to stick together, it's not going to work. I don't know if this is going to come up in your conversation. Or not, so I'm going to insert it here. I've I've been saying uh, for many many years, and while I had the opportunity with OIDA, I I told this direct face to face to Administrator Anfero. I told it to Administrator Scott Darling, and had I have, if I ever have the opportunity to meet him, I will tell it to Administrator Ray Martinez. The difference between the trucking industry leaders that claim to be all for safety and technology and the owner-operators out there and the truck drivers out there is this. The leaders of the trucking industry want whatever makes the bottom line look good at the end of the day. The truck drivers and the owner-operators and the groups like OIDA want whatever makes you get home safe at the end of the day. That's the difference. And until you get those two sides together, which you never will, there will always be strife in the trucking industry. Because you have your groups like the ATA and the Trucking Alliance and all they're looking for is bottom line to make themselves look good and to make their trucking companies look good. They don't care what it does to the driver as long as it makes them look good. Whereas the owner-operators and the truck drivers, they want to see rules and regulations in place that get them home safe to their family at the end of the day. And if those large factions differences can ever somehow be reconciled with industry groups working together toward common goals of safety on the one hand, profitability on the other, I suppose, hey, good times might well be had. There's an awful lot of acrimonious history to work out there, of course. Pay the drivers already, I can hear you saying, and so much more. Keep those ideas coming, and thanks to Steve Bixler for joining us. Until next time, stay safe out there.